0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to the cx goalkeeper podcast your host gregorio Leoni will have small discussion with expert thought leader and friends on customer experience transformation innovation and leadership i hope you will really enjoy the next episode Ladies and gentlemen, today is really a big, big pleasure. I am thrilled to say I have Chip Bell on my podcast. The CX goalkeeper has has the chance to speak together with Chip Bell. Hi, Chip. How are you?
1: I am wonderful, and it's great to be with you. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Sure, and I am really thrilled to have some discussion with you, with you because I said also in the pre discussion, I know you very well due to, due, due to your books and all your presentations, but you don't know that. And therefore, I will ask some nasty questions. I hope that that you will answer all of them. (laughs) Oh, certainly I will. Certainly I will. Great. (laughs) Uh, Before we start uh, deep diving in in some topics where you are really the expert, only to mention one or two things. You are the pioneer of customer journeys. You are one of the first men on this world implementing and using customer journeys you are also really you have an such innovative mindset in in customer service creating outstanding experiences experiences that people will remember but before I start talking about these topics chip could you please introduce yourself
1: oh great i am chip bell as
0: you've said and
1: my passion is all about the customer um i love working with organizations to help them create a culture that uh Creates not just um, customers who come back customer retention, but deeply loyal customers. Um, And that's, that's my whole area uh, of focus. I have been in this business for over 40 years. I've had my company over 40 years, uh, starting when I was like eight years old, I guess. But at any rate, I um, I love I love that uh, work. I love um, making a difference in terms of how organizations approach the customer, how they deliver great experiences. Um, It's it's a a very rewarding and and uh, exciting area to be in, particularly now uh, with uh, so many changes and with the requirement uh, today, I believe, for organizations to innovate. Innovate's not a strategy. It's not a uh, a value added. It is a survival. Um, Either you reinvent or you die. And from the customer standpoint, they tend to now, more than ever before, recognize uh, when they see a company do things that are ingenious, that are innovative, they know they're going to be around. And so they're more willing to put their time and energy and effort in in those organizations. They can bet on long pull. And so innovation has become a symbol of survival, not just a symbol of progress. Um, And so helping organizations create uh, that kind of imaginative experience is what my work has been about.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, I really like it. And you didn't mention that, but you've wrote more than 20 books, I think 24 books, all the possible awards that you can win, you won them. <laughs> and, yeah,
1: and... I like to say I wrote, I, I've written more books than I've read.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the important is to be on the right side. Uh, one That's it. I- that you are often mentioning is um, you are you're really creative uh, man and you mentioned that what you are often doing is you are writing on sticky notes your ideas or what uh, pull out you you see around uh, what is the last thing that you wrote on such a sticky note um, the, uh,
1: the last well I'm working on new work now but uh, <clears throat> let's see I carry these little cards around and uh, they, they have a- ideas all the time, like we all do. And I found if I take a little note, I can recall it. <clears throat> and sooner or later, you've got enough for an article and then an article and an article and an article and then all of a sudden I've got a book. So that's kind of my process. Uh, but I'm now working on um, the application of, of what I would call um, creative whimsical fun kind of applications. In, in arenas, in business arenas that are more serious, uh, where, you, where the concept of deep respect for the customer uh, n- needs to take preeminence over something you might do that's that's clever, creative, um, and how you manage that balance. Uh, for example, a funeral home, um, ICU, and a hospital, all of those places where innovative experiences are important but now you've got the component of it's a setting in which it's more serious by definition. And so that's, um, that's kind of the, a fun area to find ways in which you can communicate to the customer uh, both that ingenious in in experience as well as deep respect. So that's kind of a fun area to work on now.
0: And I think you are touching two important topics, and it's really fun. And basically, the the, the question that I would like to ask, also based on what you mentioned, is which are the values that drive your business? Probably um,
1: passion for the customer. It'd be number one. The the desire to make a difference. Um, it would be another. I'd like to make a contribution and that the lives of people, not just the work of people is is impacted. And I think the third one is, I like to have a good time. I like to have fun. So um, that's one of the hallmarks of my work is criteria is, is this going to be something that can make a difference? Is this going to be something that will channel my passion? And Is this going to be fun? Now, we all know there, any endeavor, there's oftentimes components that are not necessarily you'd call fun, but when you look at the overall um, net of it all, is there more fun than pain? So that's also a criteria. And I think that's also important from a service provider is customers and customers like organizations that deliver with a sense of joy. and so how do you help them experience the joy that you're trying to communicate in the marketplace
0: and you are often doing an an example about joy and it's uh, you mentioned several times the chewy example that they are sending birthday cards to your cat is is still the case yeah right yes yes i mean
1: all kind of little things that one can do that uh, brings a smile to somebody's face to cause them to remember a positive thing. <clears throat> All of those things I think are, and reflect an overall sense of compassion and kindness. Uh, I think those are the things that sustain you in the marketplace. Um, we, we like organizations that, <clears throat> that we enjoy <clears throat> and we feel like care about us uh, in, in a more in a personalized way. So kind of reflecting that caring is I think a key
0: part. And you, you mentioned one thing that I think it's really relevant nowadays is personalization. And I think we, businesses need always to find the balance between personalization and privacy, because at some point yes. of few personalization can can get a bit creepy. Could you please elaborate a bit on that?
1: Sure, I'll be delighted to. And I think part of it is I'll give you an example. I, One of our um, high-end hotel chains, which is owned by the Marriott, is the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Ritz-Carlton is renowned for great customer service. I've worked a lot with uh, Ritz-Carlton over the years. I don't work with them now, but I did. And they had um, a program by which they would um, work to personalize your experience. And the program is now called Mystique, but it's a a customer preference program by which even down to the point where the housekeeper when they go into your room to clean your guest room, notices things about your room and how you use it. That um, You tend to use more towels. So the next time you're there, there are more towels than normal. Uh, maybe the people in, in the room service notice that every time you order the, the fruit plate, you don't eat the kiwi because you don't care for kiwi. And you, after about two or three times they go, I don't think he likes kiwi, let's not put it on there anymore. And so, and, and that goes into a process that is replicated all over to every Ritz Carlton all over the world. And so, if you're in London standing at a Ritz Carlton, your kiwi's not on the fruit plate you order. So, that, that's always customers really, really enjoy that kind of personalization. Personalization, but as you say, there is also a balance because the respect for the customer again, because uh, I, you know, there's a too much personalization. I start looking for the cameras, you know, where where are the cameras in my room feels creepy. They know me too. Well, they know my secrets while they watching me is big brother here, you know, all of those kind of um, unusual kind of negative things. And so working with them to try to find protocols and almost communication signals where the front line might say things like I saw in your profile that. So now I know why you know, I know how you do all of this. It's not so mysterious. It's wonderful. I enjoy it, but it's not creepy. But there are many other things you could do in an experience to help create a personalization without it feeling like you're invading their privacy. So that's, it's, a, it's an exciting area. And what we found in, in doing that work is people differ and customers differ based on the region they're from. They differ based on the country they're from. So their needs for privacy where I live in the South might be not far less than might be some other part of the States or some other country of the world where they're more um, cautious about uh, revealing things about their privacy. So being able to put a cultural filter on it, um, I think is also a critical part of knowing the customer because again, the, the key part of personalization is I know you. Because what we really want is we don't want, we sort of not want it personalized, we want it customized, meaning it's not just for people like me, it is for me. And so that level of, of um, I know you, I know you, not just people like you, um, is, is I think a key part. Uh, it's how do we take our market research and, and dig deeper into almost down to the individual when we can. So that's it's an exciting area. And now with more and more technology and the capability of, of, um, of uh, doing deep diagnostics on customer data, we, we know more about, and we can know more about the customer. But again, they're humans. They have a sense of privacy. We have to
0: remember that. And what you are saying makes totally sense. As we discussed right. at the beginning, I am coming from Switzerland, and therefore we have a different uh, attitude towards uh, privacy compared to to other countries. Sure. Uh, basically, also to show that, as you said, you need to know your customer. You are always sharing one great example from my point of view. This is about buying the car, the last car for your uh, wife. And yes. You mentioned this example. Could you please share that? With, with sure. Sure. Audience.
1: Well, my my wife has a new car. She she loves this new car. She traded in her old car. Had the same brand to get a new car. And um, a week after she had the car, she turned on the radio for the very first time and discovered the service tech had programmed in her radio stations from her trade-in. And um, they didn't say anything. They didn't say, Hey, we put your, we programmed your radio stations." They just let her find it about a week after she had it, she turned on the radio. And so it's, it's those kind of things that um, make a difference in terms of, Wow! Look, they noticed, and, and the key part of that example is one: it was simple; it wasn't complex. And I think the more simple we do that kind of effort, the, the more ingenious kind of effort, the better. Two: it was um, unexpected, which makes it surprise, which makes the customers' loyalty go up. But but third, it fit. I mean, it, it wasn't complicated; it was it fit? It was appropriate for that situation, um, and so and it was doable i mean it wasn't complicated it wasn't hard it didn't take long training or deep you know they just said let's do let's add this to the to the um uh, you know to the cusp, to our one of our steps as a service deck and we're getting a brand new car ready let's just take the step and program into the right it's just making that matter and i think that's uh that's that's what makes this particular she drives a lexus <coughs> makes that uh, particular brand uh, very successful is their capacity to do that. And, and it comes right down to the service tech. And,
0: and I think exactly what you were saying. It's not always about spending a lot of money. You are mentioning that in, in your books and in your speeches, it's finding a way to balance generosity together with creativity.
1: Yes, right. Absolutely. And that's it's, to me, that's part of what I hope I make, make a contribution. We know that, um, that while we all love value-added, We love the value added component. We love the generosity of taking what customers expect and adding more, Uh, that's always wonderful. I'd like to upgrade you to first class. I'd like to give you the fancy room on the fancy floor of the hotel. I'm gonna comp your dessert. We all like those kinds of value added. The challenge is those value added efforts, um, the customer expectations tend to climb right up there with that addition. And so you can pretty soon run out of the room where you can't go, you know, we can't keep doing this all the time. And, uh, and so what I talk about in my work is value unique, not value added. Value added is fine, but there's some limitations. There's no limit to ingenuity. Value unique is doing things that are unexpected, that are unique, that are different, um, sometimes whimsical, but it creates that kind of, uh, wow, that's different, woo, that's and the key thing about it is I, when I work with organizations, they sometimes say, you know, I can't keep doing innovative things every time I see the customer. Well, B.F. Skinner, if you remember, taught us you don't have to do it that way. What makes the casino work? What makes the slot machine so addictive is you did the, you don't get rewarded every time you put a coin in the slot machine. It's, it's random. And so I don't have to do these kind of whimsical things every time but once in a while, when I get it, I go, you know, it, it has a big impact on their emotion and relationship to that customer, to that organization. And, and, and the most important piece is they have a story they can't wait to share. My belief is the pinnacle of customer loyalty is not a recommendation. Would you recommend to a family member or a friend? That's not the pinnacle. The pinnacle, the high point in loyalty is... Do they have a story, a compelling story they're eager to share uh, with others? Because, you know, a recommendation, you might try it, but when you hear somebody say, you're not going to believe what happened to me, you go, I got to try this. And so it has a much bigger impact on prospects, on uh, customers who are willing to say, well, let me try that too. Let me go to that organization as well. I heard this great story. And I think it has a much better, more influential impact and so that's to me the pinnacle. We we focus on that advocacy in the form of a of a story, and so value unique creates stories. So.
0: But nowadays we are always speaking. It's all about storytelling, and therefore exactly yes. what you are what you are saying, It's extremely important. I share my story. Um, and we are going always to the same uh, small, really really small small shop uh, to 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 buy meat because the lady there is giving always to my four years old son something to eat. And think Bye. about where he, he always ask, may I come with you when we are going there and all these stories that then I share again and again, and this make me not only recommend them but sharing the story also for example now with with you it's only a small, small shop two kilometers far away from where I live there and they are small. They, they know their customer because they are not thousands of different customers, but exactly what, what, what you're saying may make totally sense. And, and this is also one of the different right. factors is, is service. And this is the next question I would like to ask to you. What we are saying now, seeing now is in service, there is an extreme pressure. Most of the contact center, call center are trying to reduce the handle time of a call or of a service interactions. Where is driving us this pressure on contact center on, on service in general?
1: I, I think I think there's a big problem with that uh, because if you look at um, if the, if you look at reducing handle time, what you what you often are not uh, impacting is first call resolution. Um, and so uh, you, you may be saving time on an individual call, but they, because their problem's not solved because it's all drive-by, it's all quickly, too quick, the customer's going to call back. And now they're going to call back not so happy, um, even more angry. And so I think it, you create a different uh, uh, problem. Uh, and I think about this. What other, bi- what other role in, in, in any organization Do do you get managed with a stopwatch? Think of, can you think of any other role in the organization where we got a stopwatch on your behavior all the time? Fast, 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 hand time, handle time, get it down, fast, 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 fast. Sometimes I think we measure it because we can. And I'm not saying we shouldn't measure handle time. Obviously, it has a big impact on staffing. There are things you do. But to keep make the make the front line person the call center contact center operator constantly aware of fast 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 drives that conversation so they're more interested in in the stopwatch and less about taking care of the customer's needs however long that might take mm-hmm. and so you create a greater experience for the customer they're much more loyal to that particular organization and so in the end um, you think. You know, I, I think about the greatest organizations that are dependent on call centers, Zappos, you know, some great hotel, you know, you can go down the list. They don't, they don't have that, those numbers right in front of that frontline person. They say, take care of the customer, whatever that takes. And you say, well, what if I do if I got somebody who's chatty and they want to take a long time uh, to, to take care of the customer along with the necessary? Well, that's not a stopwatch issue. That's a coaching issue. You know, you can address those kind of one off situations in a much more in a supervisory way, not in a standards way. Um, and so I, I think um, I, I, while I appreciate the, the cost of people, I understand, uh, you know, need for discipline in an organization when it comes to a relationship, you know, uh, what happens in your in your marriage when you rush the conversation? What happens in your marriage when you don't really listen? You're just trying to get it over with. I mean, that doesn't have a good impact on your relationship. There, why would it have a positive relationship on the, uh, on, the on the customer? And so I know. And sometimes it's all driven by, you know, all these metrics to save money, money, money. Uh, I get that, but you're to me, you're cutting your nose off your nose to spite your face, so to speak. You know, it's a it may be a short term gain, but it ultimately it's a long term loss because customers. A negative two calling back two or three times to finally get their needs met um, because you were so quick with them. So that's my that's my concern about that particular metric that we use. We need metrics in any organization in any 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 role, but I think measure you know driving it quantitatively as opposed to relationship wise could be a problem.
0: No, and I, I think what you are saying with the example of wife, sometimes I would ask my wife to perhaps speed up some discussions, but then afterwards, the feedback is not so good, let's say. No,
1: exactly, exactly. That is so true. That is and so true.
0: Na- na- basically, you are really extremely innovative and ahead of everybody in this discussion. Let's right. quickly close uh, the, our eyes for Few seconds and think about now it's 2030. It means you wrote five additional books. And what are people discussing about customer experience in 10 years? Oh, great question.
1: Great question. Um, I think uh, in 10 years from now, they're going to be talking about the more the role of technology in a much more Poignant, powerful way. Um, where where is AI going to take us? Where is uh, uh, robotics going to take us? Where is uh, you know where where does where does this all lead uh, in terms of do we you know how much we mechanize, how much we um, create, uh, build technology into, and, and its impact on the human relationship? You know, I, I keep remembering. That famous, great Stanley Kubrick uh, movie, 2001: Space Odyssey, way ahead of its time. And if people who saw that movie may remember, the computer on board Hal took over, and the two pilot, two astronauts um, had to, they cl- and shut them outside the outside the space capsule, and they had to figure out ways. And of course, Hal smart, 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 but not creative. And so, in the end of the day, it was the creativity. Something that is distinctively human that that enabled them to be successful uh, and overcome uh, something the computer cannot do. It, it cannot it cannot um, be ingenious in terms of what what it does. It follows its program, and so I think in the final in the end of the days we we are we're going to have to use it AI. All things technology, we need to think of them in a support role, not in a predominant role where they drive the, the entire encounter with the customer. Because at the end of the day, if a customer service is human, it's emotional, it's interpersonal. Um, it's while there are certain things we like to have done in an expeditious way, and technology helps us do it that way, uh, it's a great tool. I think that's going to be, uh, that discussion is going to be with us for many, many years. Um, what, um, uh, you know, We're now looking at drones for delivering food and, and delivering packages. And we're looking at um, driverless cars or, and, and all, all those kind of things. And, and we see this positive side of that. And we see that, but there's also a dark side. Again, back to my 2001 space odyssey. So learning to balance that is gonna be our challenge for a long time.
0: But I, what I really like is that you are speaking about balancing technology and human touch because yes. service is all related and not only services, but also customer experience. Experiences are intimate within a person, a human being and not, um, let's say, through uh, they don't go through, uh, through a machine and then they get better. Right. And therefore, I fully agree with you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it, share it. Until the next episodes, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human environment. Thank you.